on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. I cared so much about not sucking in this show every day that I was like, I got to get a vocal teacher. I got to start seeing professionals. I got to start doing this. I got to start saying no to people. I got to start, you know, I changed my entire lifestyle. I had to reteach myself how to sing here. And for the past 14 months, that's what I've been doing. And it was a long road and it was a depressing road. You know, I, I secretly... <laughs> Look at you getting cool stuff out of me that no, that no other show has gotten out of me. That's good. In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, Lost Wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 48 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this little podcast adventure to what is easily my favorite city on the planet, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get going for this episode of the show, I want to thank everyone who checked out the last episode of the podcast featuring my trip report from my most recent visit to Las Vegas back in mid-December. I covered a ton of ground in there, including reviews of some amazing restaurants and some absolutely incredible shows that my wife and I took in during our visit. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, head to wherever you get your podcasts and check out episode number 47 in the archives or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. I also want to give a shout out to one of my loyal listeners, Philip Guest from the UK. Philip dropped me a message on Facebook over the holidays. He shared a lovely photo of the root beer he was enjoying at the Village Cafe in Ellis Island, as recommended in several episodes of the podcast. So cheers to you, Philip. Hope you had an awesome trip. All right, on to the show. My special guest for this episode of the podcast is Vin A. from the Bronx Wanderers. The Bronx Wanderers have been headlining on the Las Vegas Strip for the last three years and at the end of 2019 celebrated their 1,000th Vegas show. They started off in the showroom at Bally's back in 2016 and just last year made the move to the Matt Franco Theater at The Link. Fronted by dad Vinny Adenolfi, a recording industry legend in his own right, the band features sons Nicky and Vin A, as well as several of Vin's high school friends. Vin and I sat down in the green room at the Matt Franco Theater to chat during my Vegas trip back in November of 2019. We talked about the history and formation of the Bronx Wanderers, what it's like performing and touring with family, what life is like in Las Vegas, and Vin's new foray into the world of podcasting. One of the more fascinating parts of our conversation, for me at least, was when Vin took me behind the curtain on the topic of producing a show and keeping a show alive in Las Vegas, as well as the costs associated with running a show and who's actually responsible for covering those costs. He did a really great job of explaining why there's such a high turnover on shows opening and closing on the Vegas Strip. It was really quite eye-opening for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Please enjoy my conversation with Vin A. Well, Vin, first off, thank you, my friend, for uh, taking the time to sit and chat. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I know it's a busy, crazy time with uh, with the Bronx Wanderers. You guys have always got a ton of stuff going on. So oh, it always is. It's shocking when it's not busy, crazy time. But it's, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thing, the yeah. The alternative is not. Uh, the alternative is doing what I did before music, which was making pizzas. So <laughs> I'm happy that I'm still able to do this. So let's let's find out a little bit about you first of all. Born and raised. Where are you from? How'd you get to Vegas? All that fun stuff uh i always tell people i was born and raised in new york and new jersey when uh when you're from that part of the country they call it the tri-state area right so everything is so condensed and together that my grandparents were in yonkers my other grandparents were in the bronx my family lived in jersey my other cousins were in long island so i grew up in that whole area is what i tell people and uh i loved growing up there the school was great i met most of the band at my high school 
which was pretty cool. And uh, we were touring for about 17 years on the road, doing like 200 dates a year. It was craziness. And we always, my dad always had the goal of wanting to get to Las Vegas because instead of going around the country, going to people, you're in one place and people come to you. And the hard part about us was, you know, we had no hit record. We had no, we had no major TV thing like America's Got Talent, like a lot of the guys out here in showrooms have. So they have like millions of followers right off the bat from doing TV. We built and grew our fan base one show, one fan at a time. So it really has been like a 17-year process. And along one of our tours, these great producers met us, Alan and Kathy Glist, and they said, how would you guys like to play Vegas? We're like, we've been trying to get there forever. We just, you know, to sustain a Vegas show, you need a lot of money. You need to burn through $40,000 in marketing a month. You need to burn through salaries. You need to pay the union. It's it's a lot. Like, you know, we're lucky if we break even majority of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're still here. People come back 10, 20, 30, 40 times. And, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky to have each other. And we're lucky to have a good show. So... And I mean, it's a it's a family band. You guys, it is a family playing band. together forever. Sorry, I'm horrible at answering questions. That's okay. That. No, that's okay. <laughs> so, you, you guys, you guys have been playing together quite literally forever. since birth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad was a record ex- executive for 30 years, so you know, I grew up with around music my whole life, around seeing Dion and all these guys in the house, and you know, having that exposure to it. And his office had like 10 guitars on the wall. I'd walk in at the age of eight. I'd steal a guitar off the wall. He wouldn't know where it would be for three weeks. I'd be secretly trying to teach myself guitar. And my brother would be downstairs in the basement learning how to play drums on pots and pans. So, you know, it was always like a fun fun thing that we gravitated towards music. And our parents were supportive enough to see that at an early age. And they bought Nick a drum set at the age of nine, which was kind of cool. And then they bought me my first guitar at the age of 10, which was great. And they, they never pushed it on us. They were never like, you know, you got to do lessons, you got to do this. It was always you know, go about it however you want to go about it. And because we had that freedom to do what we wanted and learn what we wanted and we just loved it, we stuck with it. You know, I know a lot of, I'm sure you know a lot of kids too that at the age of 10, they're told to take piano lessons for five years. They're drilled to do it every week. And by the time they get to 14, they're like, you know, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Yeah. You know, my regret was I wish I had lessons at that age because here I am at 31 still going online, learning how to do certain things, picking up because, you know, I, I used to know how to read music when I learned the violin in the fifth grade. And now that I don't do that anymore, I forgot how to read music. So right. everything I learn, I learn by ear. You know, and if I can't learn something, I got, you know, the other guys in the band that are all like seasoned pros that, you know, do a bunch of other gigs or they have to read music and they help me out. But yeah, so my dad's the singer in the Bronx Wanderers. My little brother's the drummer. And the other three guys in the van are my high school friends. So we like to always say we're sponsored by Prozac and Jack Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine that, I mean, I know when I travel with family or deal with family or even me and my wife will be out on the road for four or five days before we're ready to murder each other. Um, I would imagine that uh, that being involved in a in a family situation like that has a lot of unique challenges. It does. It definitely does, without a doubt. I mean, the whole idea behind the Bronx Wanderers was we wanted to make an eight-year-old in the audience have just as much fun as an 88-year-old. And how do you do that through music? How do you not make the grandma happy and the granddaughter unhappy and the mom completely bored the whole show how do you tie all three generations together and enjoy one music show and that in and of itself is a challenging thing but the cool thing with Bronx Wanderers is there's a bunch of generations within our band so my dad brings forth all the cool Frankie Valley the Four Seasons stuff the Dion stuff um, the Elvis stuff and then you know me and my guys bring in the Queen Bruno Mars uh Uh, Brian Setzer, you know, all cool kind of stuff. So it's a very broad gap of what this show brings forth. And as far as what you said before with (laughs) personalities and fighting with each other, I mean, yeah, we totally, we're 100% honest. You know, when I'm in a band with five strangers, you have to tiptoe. You got to like go lightly. You can't hurt anybody's feelings. You got to be very on your game all the time. Whereas if my dad's like, you know, Vin, I want to do Copacabana, I go like, no, fuck that. I don't want to do that. Like, never. It's <laughs> never going to happen, dude. You know? So we, we, we totally butt heads. And, you know, we, we try things. And I've come to grips with the fact that I look at him, I go, look, 
I'll try anything once. And if it and if it doesn't work after that first time or after the or the next few times, we have to all come to agreement that it doesn't work and let's move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. So the good thing about being with the family is um, we're super honest. Sometimes too honest, right? Which is a good thing. But you know, we're all we're all pulling in the same direction, and that's what's made this show survive sixteen years, right? I mean, because I know you know tons of other family bands that they. They had one big fight, and they don't talk to each other anymore. Uh-huh. Whereas me and my dad, I'll, I'll leave this interview with you, go have a fight with my dad, and 30 minutes later be on stage laughing with each other, going, ah, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. By the way, I didn't even ask. Am I allowed to curse on your show because I wasn't sure? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great, because I, I tend to do that. <laughs> the minute that came out of my mouth, I was like, eh, no. It's all good. Okay, it's a, cool. No, it's absolutely good. Um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've never really thought about that before and that ability to, like you say, just be honest you get to be yourself you don't have to put on that that corporate or that business face Uh you know um around other people when i'm doing other shows uh when they're like you know vim we want you to sing this verse we want you to sing that verse and and i'll just be like i'd I'd be so much better doing the other one but uh okay okay (laughs) i'm not you know i'm not gonna fight it right now It's, it's all good but when me and my dad are like, you know, the other night we just did a Paul Anka medley. And the first song in that medley is Put Your Head on My Shoulder. And the next song is uh, Good Night, My Love. And I heard that song, Good Night, My Love, and I was like, wow, I love the chords in this song. Oh, my God, I can't wait to do this song. And then my dad comes in and goes, I want to sing that song. I go, no, you do all the slow songs. I want to do one slow song. <laughs> it's like, dude, let me let me get one. Yeah. And he's like, ah, all right, let's, let's see how you do it. And then I did it, and, you know, I, I killed it. I did my homework. I worked really hard at it. And uh, we haven't done it for like four years. The other night, I was just telling you, we were just in Chicago, 31 degrees, super fun. Yeah. Not. And uh, <laughs> we did that medley and sound check. And he was like, we should do this as a duet. I go, Dad, I haven't done this song in five years. I want to be able to do this song one time, man. Just let me do this song once. And he's like, okay, 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 fine. We'll do it. So, you know, it's... It's all those, it's their cute little battles. They're not like, F you, I'm doing that song. Right. Like, he'll never look at me and be like, I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, he'll look at me like, dude, let me do it. And I'll be like, you know what? Next time, dad, you can totally do it. So it's, there's an underlying thing of respect too with that honesty. Right. So a lot comes with it. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a marriage. You're married in a, in a show. You're married to the people you're in the show with. You're with them more than you're with your family. And mm-hmm. in my case, I'm with my family and the people on my show. So it's double the psychotic episodes <laughs> and double the screaming at each other. So, yeah. you know, we have to come together. We have to know what direction we're going in and that's, and that's what we do, and, and I'm lucky to have that, you know, because I've known, we both know so many bands that have been together. I mean, look at the Beatles, man. They changed the world, and, and they broke up. Yeah. You know, we we always joke with each other. Bronx Wanderers lasted longer than the Beatles, man. This is crazy, <laughs> as far as how long they were together. Yeah, yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. How long? So, 16 years? So, the Bronx Wanderers started in, I think, uh, 2006. Okay. But before that, we were in, like, another band together, seeing if this thing would work. And like I told you before, I was uh, working at Pizza Express during the week, going to high school, and on the weekends, we'd go out and, and do this this show. And the next thing you know, uh, we started opening for like famous oldies bands at shows. We started opening for Charlie Thomas and the Drifters. We started opening for Peter Noon. We started opening for Gary Puckett. We started opening for Tony Orlando. And it was just like, wow, this is really cool. Next thing you know, we started growing up and getting kind of good at uh-huh. what we did. Not saying we weren't good when we were doing that, but we weren't right. great. We weren't we're like where we are now. And uh, some of the bands didn't want us opening for them. Some of them were like, they're too good, and the audience is getting too into them that they're upstaging us. Uh-huh. So then, like after five years of opening all the oldies shows for the acts, like people were putting in their contracts specifically, we don't want the Bronx Wanderers, you know, <laughs> opening for us at the wow. show. We're like, holy shit, yeah, uh, this is like turning into like a crazy thing. So that's when we decided to go out on the road and do our own show. Uh-huh. That's when we're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's start building a following and doing Bronx Wanderers full time. Mm-hmm. And my dad and us, we'd go out on the road. We'd lose two to three thousand dollars a show. We were, you know, you have to pay for the hotels. You got to pay for the flights. You got to pay for the back line if you can't drive it to where you're going. And I had no idea. I was like a little kid at this point. I was like, you know, 23, 24. I was just like, oh, look at me. I'm on the road drinking and having a great time. Yeah. Ooh. You know, and here my, my dad is maxing out all his credit cards, like just trying to keep this thing afloat because 
I didn't even bring it up before, but, but because my dad was in the record business for 30 years, when the whole record business like collapsed and just went into three companies, my dad's label, Columbia, got eaten up by Sony. So when all the bosses came in at like the age of 40 for him and said, you're out of a job. And my, that's the only job my dad had known for like 30 years. You know, it was crazy. So uh, he got the idea to go out to take his two sons into a retrospective of his career and what we've done and it just morphed into this whole crazy epic thing that we're still doing you know and we won four best of las vegas awards we're inducted into the east coast music hall of fame i mean it's it's been crazy we're lucky guys but but i always say luck doesn't have a lot to do with it it's the fact that we work so hard yeah so hard the first two years we were out here, we worked seven days a week. Uh-huh. And it wasn't a show like, you know, Menopause or other shows where you have an understudy. Right. You know, like, it's really bad for me to leave the show because the show's about a father and his two sons. Yeah. So my dad, to this day, in 16 years, has never taken a day off from this show. Wow. Like, he's never missed a scheduled show. Yeah. So, you know, he always jokes around. He's like the Cal Ripken of, like, you know, music. <laughs> where he just, he, that's, his, that's his thing. You know, so uh, we work really hard. And uh, we'll continue to do so. And you guys uh, prefer the Vegas life to the touring? I like I uh, I prefer both. You know, so my whole take on Vegas is Vegas. Unfortunately, nowadays isn't like it used to be. It's people are going to less shows. Uh, since I've been here in the three years I've been here, I've seen over like sixty shows open and close. Right, like it has been crazy. I had no idea the turnaround was like that. And, uh, you know, I look at guys like Wayne Newton and the Righteous Brothers and uh, Matt Goss. These guys, they do three shows a week, and that's it. So for people that want to go see their show, they only have those three days to go. So those guys are naturally going to sell a lot of tickets in those three days. Um, For people like us or or menopause that are open six, seven, eight shows a week, people look at that show and go, "Eh, you know, we can go tomorrow. Let's go tomorrow. Let's do the other thing tonight because you can only do it tonight. And then you got to hope those people show up tomorrow and the Mm -hmm. next day. So I kind of compare it to like we're the 7-Eleven of shows versus like Wayne Newton and the Righteous Brothers. They're like the Gucci of shows where they're only those type of things. I like what the Righteous Brothers do. I like that they're three days in Vegas and then they do a, an outside job. You know, they'll go to New Jersey or they'll go to Connecticut or Montana and do a show. And again, uh, you know, I had to take like a major pay cut coming here. I made a lot more money on the road than I do here because again, you got to take into account, like I said before, the marketing's 40 grand a month. You got to pay the union, which is 10 grand a week. You got to pay salaries, which is this. You got to producers hopefully should make some money which i don't even know if my producers are making any money they just know that people are coming up to them saying the show is so good you got to keep it open we've been to the show 35 times we're always going to come back so they look at it and go how the hell can we close this show we can't it's some good things are going to happen and secretly we're working on some other things like hopefully some some tv stuff and some other things but you know till then it's it's all about the survival game it really is you know, and I, I enjoy going on the road because you're playing to people that have seen me, you know, 10 years in a row versus people that see me in the Las Vegas show. When we ask every night, how many people have ever seen us before? The whole room doesn't raise their hand. Or how many people have not seen us before? The whole room raises their hand. Yeah. So it's like, wow, these are people that have never seen us. Mm-hmm. So for the first five songs, they're kind of looking at us all like we have 10 heads, like, you know, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are we, why was the word of mouth so good that we were told to come to the show? Yeah. And then by the end of the show, they go, oh, my God, we can it's we feel a part of your family because that's our whole thing. We want to bring people into our crazy psychotic circus is what I always say. And they leave feeling like they know all of us. And that's a cool way that we uh, that we connect with everybody. And that's why people come back. And that's why I think this show is great and deserves to stay open. And that's what puts me in an awkward position that I have my own songs that I write and I want to go out and do my own thing, which, you know, getting to open for Bon Jovi at T-Mobile Arena, that was an awesome opportunity for me to do. But at the same token, you know, I got offered, you know, by the Las Vegas or Life is Beautiful and it's hard to, to leave Bronx Wanderers to go do my own thing. Right. You know, so I'm in a, I'm in a weird spot. But at the same token, I believe in what we're doing here. And I, and I, personally selfishly think i can do both (laughs) (laughs) i'm hoping i can do both hearing you throw those numbers out is 
fascinating to me the financial numbers and oh, the cost staggering here because there was a thing on twitter a few weeks ago where somebody they were talking about the cost of shows and shows mm-hmm. that were closing and all this kind of stuff and people were baffled about well how are these shows not making money because mm-hmm. they're charging a hundred dollars a ticket and even if they only get a thousand people a night it's you know that's a hundred thousand dollars a night how are they not making money well again so these shows open up and they think that the minute they open they're going to start selling a thousand tickets on day one right and the thing is that doesn't happen right you need to you need you're, you have to plan on losing six months of, of losses. Yeah, because you have to get word of mouth around town. You got to get a buzz with all the concierge people and all the people that sell the tickets. Vegas.com tickets for the night. All the places that people go to get half off tickets tonight. You know, yeah. so so on all the advertisements. Oh, uh, type in this code, you get half off your price. So even when people say, oh well, the show's one hundred and twenty dollars. Nine, 99 out of 100 people in that theater only paid $30 to see that show. 99 of 100, they're even getting a, a bigger deal from StubHub or some or Ticketmaster or some other show. Yeah. You know, even think about total rewards. When, when I look out at the room, I go, guys, how did we not turn a profit tonight? They go, well, 75 of those people paid $7 a ticket. Right. Because they're in the total rewards program. So the minute you think that everybody's buying a full price ticket, it's just, it's not true. And then if and then when you open immediately, how many shows right off the bat are great the minute they open? Yeah. Not many. Because again, you're gonna have lighting failures, you're gonna have sound failures, you're gonna have people rewriting the show, you're gonna have you know, you're constantly tweaking, constantly getting it ready. Our biggest fear was when we opened, we did a red carpet event in front of the entire town two weeks after we were here. Uh-huh. The lights were all still messed up, the sound was a disaster, our costumes were in shambles. I looked at them and go, why the hell are we doing this red carpet right now? They go, because we need to get you in the paper. We need a buzz around town. No matter what happens, you need to do your best and just do your best. And we did our best. I, I'm telling you right now, there were some horrible moments that <laughs> happened that first damn night. But, you know, after that, people are coming back and saying, oh, my God, we saw you three years ago. We saw you now. It's, oh, my God, it's a totally different show. I go, yeah, yeah because in my mind, I wish you saw me six months into my residency as opposed to two weeks into my residency. And again, you know, it's it's like you said before, I've seen so many shows come and go. So as impatient as I am and I want things to get better and be better, I have to always keep in mind, dude, I'm still here. You know, three years later, we just celebrated a thousand shows two months ago. It's like, it's like unheard of. Yeah. You know, so. And you guys have made the move too. I mean, you guys started off at Bally's. We started small. Yeah. How big was the room at Bally's that you guys were Oh my in? God. It was like 200, 200 max. Yeah. It's a really small room. And now the Matt Franco theater here at the Link. Yeah. It's like massive. But we told them coming into this room, listen, uh, <laughs> there's no way we're selling 600 seats a night. Yeah. They go, we would never expect you to sell 600 seats a night. But see, the problem, again, with back in the day Vegas versus, versus today Vegas, shows like Jubilee and all those shows back then, they would sell 1,500 seats a night. They Look at that theater at Paris that's like 1,500 seats. It's empty. Yeah. Dionne Warwick opened up in there. She couldn't sell 1,500 seats a night. Bang, left. Masters of Illusion, who is on TV every single night, couldn't keep that show open in that room. Yeah. So it's telling you there's a trend now. There's like a new trend in Vegas where you need to be in a 300 to 600 seat showroom and that's it. Uh That's it. I mean, Wayne Newton, legend, legend, played with Frank Sinatra, all these guys. He's he's at Caesars Palace playing in Cleopatra's Bars. I think the maximum occupancy is 180 seats. Yeah. Baffling. But again, it's a cool thing because on when he plays, he's sold out every night. So it's got that cool thing where, dude, if you don't get your ticket two days before, that show's sold out. So it creates a demand in a way. Whereas the hard thing for me, you asked me before, do you like playing here or playing on the road better? Is it disheartening to walk out six nights a week and see a 600-seat theater and see only 300 people in it? Yeah, a little bit. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, a, li- it's a little weird. You know? like we're no, we, we know we're growing. I'm not disillusioned thinking, well, we should be selling 600 seats tonight. You know, we're great. I know we're not like that, but you know, when I go out on the road and I play, say, a 3,000 seat performing arts center, sold out. You know, because the word around the country, we were killing it for like 15 years. So it's it's tough. You know, you don't know what the tickets are being sold at. 
all the theaters in all over town are all messed up. I mean, my good friend Tenors and Rock, I love them. They're like my best friends in town. They started at Harris in a 500-seat thing, and now they went to Planet Hollywood. Again, because Caesars moved everybody around. We got moved around. They got moved around. They turned the entire upstairs Bally thing into a magic room. So it was part of this whole move. It had nothing to do with their show moving there. But again, it's like we started small, and we're going in this upward trajectory. And I'm hoping we can continue that upward trajectory. Yeah. It's a tough town, though. It's well, tough now. And. And Vegas has gone through this. In, I mean, I've been coming here regularly for five years, so I've kind of seen the the flux of I'm how sure things have it, gone. Yeah. Like when I started coming here, it was about the big production shows. Mm-hmm. It was Mamma Mia. It was Spam a Lot was here. Mm-hmm. Rock of Ages. It, it was a know, lot of musicals. Jersey Boys. Yeah. All the big musicals yeah, that are expensive all, to put on. Now it's all headliners, though. Yeah. Now it's Gwen Stefani, Aerosmith. Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, uh, Def Leppard, Journey. Look at all the shows that all these B shows are competing with. You know, look at, you know, us, Tenors of Rock, we're competing with Def Leppard. We're competing with Aerosmith. We're competing with Journey. You know, so when people come to town, who are we going to go see? Uh, Tenors of Rock or Bronx Wanderers? Or you want to go see Aerosmith? So now again, it's it's a weird thing. A lot a lot of those head, big headliners are sucking the life out of the mini headliners, and the only good thing is, in order to get tickets to go see those shows, it's like four or five hundred dollars a ticket. It's insanity. So to go see like a Bronx Wanderer show, it's you know sixty seventy bucks. You can go see a great show. I've had people come up to me going, "We just saw." Uh, well, God, who are they talking about? I don't want to put anybody out. But let's just, I don't want to name who they named, but we just, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to name it. We just saw Cher. We just saw your show tonight. We liked your show better. Yeah. And it's baffling because I look at them and go, Cher has 55 costume changes. She's got 50 people on stage. We got six people on stage. Like, what are you talking about? She goes, no, the way you guys connect is, it's unbelievable. It's like more intimate. It's this cool thing. So... You brought up a great point. It's it's really it's changing. It's ever changing. You ever have to adapt to the environment, and the shows that don't adapt are the ones that got to move on. In the time you've been here and seeing the way you're seeing things go, do you think it's ever going to do that? That flip back to maybe getting away from those those big headliners, or do you think the the resorts and the casinos have said, you know what, we can have a a, a show like. Bronx Wanderers that can run six nights a week, 52 weeks a year, blah, blah, blah. Or we can bring in yeah. Aerosmith and charge $600 a ticket well, four times a year. Well, they're all doing it. So the major powerhouses in town are MGM versus Caesars. So MGM, they like only do Cirque shows. Yeah. You know, MGM is known for Cirque. That's, that's where you're going to see O and, you know, Mystere and Love Rev and all that. You know, that's where all that stuff is. Yeah. And aside from that, they got uh, the headliners. Mm-hmm. So Caesars had to compete with everybody going over to Park MGM, like Bruno Mars, all these people. Yeah. So Caesars was like, dude, we got to start bringing in headliners, man. They can't be the only ones. But the cool thing that I like about Caesars is uh, Damien Coster, the entertainment director, he said, I want Caesars to like almost be like Disney. Mm-hmm. I want to offer a different experience at every hotel. I want... I want you guys to be that cool little rock and family acting that's from age 8 to 88. Everybody can enjoy. Tenors of Rock is for that really cool people in their 40s, classic rock, banging, kick-ass show. Menopause is a cool show for all women going through that, and it's cool for men too. It's like they have – it's like a ride at Disney. It's yeah. like they have like Pirates of the Caribbean. They got like Splash Mountain. It's like every single ride is different and offers its own world. So that's the cool thing I like about Caesars that they're they're doing and and they believe in us and they're behind us. You know, three years later, can I tell you my prediction of what it's going to be in the future? I have no idea. Look at chaos at the Palms that opened up. Yeah, they spent millions in that renovation, like millions, mm-hmm. and they were getting Marshmallow and Cardi B. They're paying them sixty million dollars a night, like craziness. Yeah, bang closed. Yeah, it's like how the as a nightclub yeah. bringing in tons of drunk people charging $300 for a bottle of vodka. How does that go under? Yeah. And that's under. Because here I am thinking young people come to town. The only thing they do is they go drink and they go to a club. That's what young people do. And secretly, that's why the Bronx Wanderer succeeds. 
because in order to do a young show out here, it's impossible. How many young people go to shows? No, yeah, not none. many. So Bronx Wanderers has this really cool niche thing where we're going after families, we're going after older people, we're going after. Say you're going to Vegas with your grandma, your mom, and your granddaughter. Okay, what show can we go see that doesn't suck, that isn't boring for all of us? Well, Bronx Wander's in the top 10 on TripAdvisor. Let's go check that out. And that's why I think we're succeeding. If you ask me, Vin, if you could change your whole set list tomorrow and play Nirvana, Foo Fighters, you know, all the stuff that I love, all the stuff that I get in my car and go, yeah, I would kill to do this. Vin, would you do that tomorrow in Las Vegas? I go, no, because none of those people are going to shows. None of those people are going to buy a ticket to see that. Look at the 90s show that was in the Paris show. We yeah. were talking before. They had Salt and Pepper. They had uh, Sugar Ray. They had it. Gone. Yeah. Gone. You know, and I look at that and go, dude, unbelievable. Like, how does that happen? Because, again, you're expecting 30 and 40-year-olds who, do we go see I Love the 90s or do we go see Bruno Mars? Do we go see this? Do we go see that? Do we go to dinner tonight or do we go see that unnamed show that we've never heard of? It's tough. This is why I drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, life in Vegas. I mean, mm. you you move here. You moved here. Were you guys based out east? Like, were you living yeah, in New York? Yeah, we all lived in New York, New Jersey, and I came out here in 2016. So you must have had some kind of preconceived notions about oh, yeah. about life in Vegas. Oh my god, I thought I'd I thought I'd die. Yeah, I thought I'd come out here and just you know party myself to death. <laughs> You know, I really did. Yeah. And I kind of did when I first got out here because I was like, you know, oh, look at me go. I got a show. I got, yeah. you know, I'm, I only work 90 minutes a day. Well, in the show, you know, right. the other four hours are practicing and doing all that other stuff. But, yeah. You know, and I rocked out. The problem was I wasn't used to singing seven nights a week right. on the road. Like I would, like you said before, Spamalot and all those shows, those are like Broadway musical shows. They're used to doing eight shows a week. Mm-hmm. The reason why those people can do eight shows a week is because they got understudies. If this person's voice blows out, this next unnamed dude can step in, throws on a wig, and you don't know the difference. Yeah. For me, seven days a week, when my voice started going to shit, I was petrified. Like, petrified. I didn't know what to do. I stopped going out. I stopped seeing everybody. I became a recluse, like, because I was too afraid to go out and, and yell and scream. I mean, listen to me now on your show. Like, it's hard for I'm Italian. It's hard for me to talk low. It's very hard. Because, again, I'm in the band with my family. I, you know, living with my whole family. It's screaming, screaming Italians all, yeah, yeah. all the time. So uh, I thought it was going to be horrible out here. But then it was kind of like living in New York where everything is 24-7 here. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I know that I can do whatever I want whenever I want... I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then you see all the drunk people walking around like the girls walking with their high heels in their hands with their eye makeup running down looking like the Hamburglar <laughs> from McDonald's. Right. And I go, you know what, man? I don't even want to be that drunk anymore. So yeah. it's, you see so many drunk people that you don't want to be drunk. Yeah. And then I cared so much about not sucking in this show every day that I was like, I got to get a vocal teacher. I got to start seeing professionals. I got to start doing this. I got to start saying no to people. I got to start... You know, I changed my entire lifestyle. I had to reteach myself how to sing here. And for the past 14 months, that's what I've been doing. I shit you not, I got my full voice back two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I literally looked at everybody and said, I'm finally back to where I was. Mm -hmm. And it was was a long road. And it was a depressing road. Yeah. You know, I, I secretly... (laughs) <laughs> Look at you getting cool stuff out of me that no that no other show has gotten out of me. That's good. You know, I've secretly like been depressed for like a year because imagine the one thing that you're supposed to do, you know you're not doing good. And could I get away with it? Could people look at me and go, you know, Vin, you're great, you're great, you're great blah, 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 blah. I hate hearing that, number one, because I know when I suck and I know when I'm good and I don't need anybody to tell me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought for a year that I sucked. I literally have to wake up in the morning and go, I know I'm going to go sing tonight and I'm not going to be 100% and it's depressing. Mm -hmm. And uh, change my whole lifestyle, change my food, change drinking, change, I stopped drinking scotch and whiskey, started, you know, I I didn't go full Mormon and stop drinking because that's just asinine. Who the (laughs) the fuck would do that? So I changed, I started drinking like, you know, beer again and, uh, vodka and uh not eating past 10 o'clock so it's yeah you totally have to adjust coming out here yeah totally not so much 
for me with everybody else because like i know people are like, oh, where are you from from iowa it's like whoa dude that's like a major change yeah from living in iowa to living in las vegas for me i had like new york city you know right. 20 minutes away from my house so mm-hmm. i could you know rock out and do whatever the hell i wanted at any time of day but yeah you got to adjust and i mean a lot of the guys that i've talked to and and people i've talked to here have mentioned almost surprisingly how much of a community oh god yeah vegas feels like mm-hmm. more so than i mean some of the guys that i've talked to and some of the performers i've talked to have said comparing say vegas and new york and now that you've been you've oh been no both, uh, this community beats the hell out of to- new yeah, york totally any day. different any day everybody is so much more supportive any day of each other totally in new york <laughs> in new york you're like say like on a package show with other people those people in the wings watch you perform are all hoping that you trip and break your ankle on stage right they're all hoping you fail yeah. they're hoping that you suck so they can succeed it's like a cutthroat f you it's us versus the world type of thing whereas here i came here and uh I'll admit, I came with some of those feelings. Like, I came like, I'm going to destroy everybody out here. I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to fuck everybody up. And, uh, you know, I was upset that I was put in a small room versus other people that were put in a big room. I was, like, pissed off by it. You know, this sucks. I've wor- I paid my dues, man. I toured for 15 years. I started in restaurants and then worked my way up to one, two, three thousand seat performing arts centers. Like, we worked. And then for them to look at you and go, well, the only room available is a 200 seat old buffet room and in the attic of valleys i was like shit this sucks you know like okay we all right but we got to start somewhere okay we got to start from the ground up again and uh i started going out and doing monday's darks and doing uh other charity organizations my friend andrew Wright with rock off he does a cool thing for him was avenger i started i always loved doing charity stuff because that's like you know you got to give back you got to give back because I'm lucky that I do music every day and people deserve it to be brought back. Mm-hmm. We always say the love you take is equal to the love you make. And that's <laughs> Beatles stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I started meeting all the performers in town and they're so genuine. They're so nice. They're so, what can I do for you? Oh, you're doing an album. If you need me to sing on it, let me, I'll do it for you free, dude. I started getting really close to the tenors of rock guys, you know, because originally I was like, you know, damn it, we're kind of doing the same stuff. They're doing Queen, I'm doing Queen. They're doing all the cool young stuff I want to do. I'm doing all this old stuff, you know, uh-huh. damn it. And then I met the guys and I was like, these are the nicest dudes in the world, man. Yeah. Like, I want to hang out with them. And yeah. sure enough, we started hanging out and I was, they became my best friends. And like, the next thing you know, it's like, I want them to succeed. I want to do anything for them. And they'll do, and they've done anything for me. Like right after tonight, after tonight's show, I'm going to hang out with Jimmy Denning from Enters of Rock. We're going to do some guitar event, and then I'm going to hang at his place. But uh, everybody's so supportive, and not even the music people, like Murray, Magic people. I mean, we just did a celebrity kickball tournament for Vegas Wish. <laughs> we had like every entertainer versus firefighters and police officers who are like nine feet tall and jacked to the gills. Yeah, how'd that and work out like, for yeah, you guys? Well, let's just say the score was uh, triple digits for them and like single for us. We got our asses <laughs> kicked. You know, but we come together and we do good things for good causes and that's just, I love that about Las Vegas. Uh-huh. I utterly love that. And, and people that don't even see the entertainment community, look what happened the first year with the Golden Knights. Yeah. I mean, there's some ragtag bunch of hockey players thrown together on this, you know, crap team last minute, and they go to the Stanley Cup. I mean, it was a momentum of force and support in this town, and uh, and I'm an honored I'm honored to be a part of it. You know, I really am. Were you surprised by how much charity and stuff was was here? Totally. I yeah. thought this town would be like Sin City. You know, mm-hmm. you figure this town would be like, you know, oh, there's a heroin convention next door. You know, <laughs> you, you figure, you know, when you have your pre uh, predisposed like notions of what it would be versus what it is, it's it's night and day. Yeah, night and day. And people reach out to me, Vin. You want to do this uh, this cool event in December? Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Finn, you want to sing on the next Monday's Dark? We're doing the music South Park. Not only will I freaking do it for charity, I will do it for free for nothing because I love South Park. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. So it's it's cool, man. We're a cool community. We're raising money like at an alarming rate for so many different charities. And, uh, and the performers out here know to give back. And, you know, if we were headliners like Lady Gaga and Aerosmith where we could give like $100,000 to a charity overnight, we would. But, mm-hmm. you know, all like, 
you know, the Jennifer Romases of Sexy, the Murrays, all, all like, you know, the little B-shows. I don't call us little B-shows, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's super massive headliners, and then there's us. Mm-hmm. We all come together and, and do our own thing and provide our talent and provide whatever we got to match what the big dogs are doing. And, uh, you know, it's it's alarming, and it's it's given me a... Oh, God, I'm getting emotional. Ugh. <laughs> That's gross. Uh, it's just getting me to the point where I feel home here. Yeah. You know, I feel home. I lived in New York for 15 years. I've been here for three. People from New York are going to kick my ass after this interview. <laughs> but I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be here. Yeah. Not just for the lack of snow, but for the people. Yeah. You're in Canada. I don't know how the hell you do it. We, I don't know how you do it. We, we, we drink a lot <laughs> as well. A man of my own heart. Beer, beer, our Canadian beer. You're aware, yeah. I love it, Molson, baby. Exactly. (laughs) If they would like to sponsor, I'm okay with that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the actual show, the Bronx Wanderer show. If if people are not familiar with this show, Mm -hmm. uh, fill us in. Tell us all about it. Uh, What a roller coaster this show is. It starts out with a video telling you who we are and what we've done because nine times out of ten people coming in the theater have never heard of us. So they come into this theater, our best marketing is word of mouth. People go, oh, you're going to Las Vegas? Make sure you go see the Bronx Wanderers. People ask around town, you know, where should I go? You should go see the Bronx Wanderers. And it's like crazy. And uh, when Jersey Boys closed by the time we opened here, we kind of filled that, that gap for that genre of music. So we, I always tell people the Bronx Wanderers show is like a Bronx tale meets Jersey Boys. And um, my dad starts out the show with older stuff. Frankie Valley, Dion, the Wanderers, stuff like that. And then uh, we get everybody into it with Sweet Caroline because my dad did some work with Neil Diamond. And then, and then the kids start coming into it and we start ramping it up and getting a little cooler. We start doing, you know, Brian Setzer. We, start, we do a Vietnam medley supporting our troops. Um... And then we knock everybody dead with a, with a rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody, which I, I wanted to do that song before the movie came out. And we were doing it. We were doing it like five, six years. So the minute that movie came out, I was like, yes, this yeah. is so good that this everybody's loving this movie and we're doing this in the show. So everybody naturally loves that. And again, now we're starting to tie all the younger people into the older stuff. Mm-hmm. And then right after Bohemian, we go into uh, a Bruno Mars tune. And then... Uh, we're telling stories all throughout about the crazy family, about why we picked this song, how do we fight over this song. Yeah. You know, my dad growing up in the house and my brother banging on pots and pans, you know, all the gray hairs in his head that I've contributed to him. Um, it's wild, man. It's, yeah. We're funny. We have a lot of funny jokes in the show. And we connect with people. We're not just talking at you. Mm-hmm. We're not just up there like actors saying lines we're up there as ourselves mm-hmm. we're up there um, as vin i'm up I'm, that's my dad right over there like that's my daddy yeah you know when you when you go and look at a show and like rock of ages it's some dude in a wig singing a song mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who that dude in a wig is as long as he's good at doing the song he's doing right whereas me you walk out knowing me mm-hmm. so it's like it's like a whole different animal i'm not going out there as a character i'm going out there as myself so that's like a really cool part of the Bronx Wanderers show. And uh, the weird part is 99 out of 100 people that come, they come back. Mm-hmm. And that's how you survive in this town. It's not just about getting people to come see you once. Yeah. It's about getting people to come see you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times. Yeah. You know, look at a lot of the Cirque shows. I mean, I've been to a few of the Cirque shows and I fell asleep during some of them. Yeah. You know, because... To me, a fun show isn't somebody jumping on a trampoline for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that's, is that impressive? Yeah, my ass would fall and break my ass on the trampoline. Right. Totally. But after 10 minutes, I'm just like, dude, this is boring, man. Yeah. It's like boring me to death. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the only reason why at the age of 31 and the fact that I want to be a songwriter and still do my own career, the only reason why I'm still here is because I believe in this show so much. Mm-hmm. I believe in the product we're selling. I believe in the smiles that we're creating for people. I believe in the fact that we're bringing together a grandma, her daughter, and her granddaughter all together for 190 minutes of fun. Yeah. And that's and that's hard to do. And as long as the Bronx Wanderers can continue to do that, I will continue to be in the show 150%. 
and the show's giving you the opportunity to branch out into some stuff for yourself. You're podcasting now. Yeah. <laughs> I came out here and I'm like, you know, like everybody and their mom is doing this thing. And like, I didn't want to do a podcast. I wanted to do a TV show. Yeah. I wanted to do like a Bill Maher meets John Oliver meets, you know, Stephen Colbert. Like I wanted to, I wanted to test my comedy skills, yeah. you know, and uh, it was a goof. Like I'm, pay- I was paying to do this show. I didn't yeah. get paid to do this show. So every episode you see of What the Cluck, shameless plug. Go check out What the Cluck. Definitely go check <laughs> it out. It's hilarious. Yeah, What the Fuck was taken, so I had to take What the Cluck. <laughs> um, <laughs> check it out. I got to try my my comedy, mm-hmm. and I always tell people try not to listen to my show, watch my show because it's very video and photo driven, and very visual. And we had some, you know, funny, crazy guests on. We had, you know, Jimmy from Dennis Rock, Dennis Blair, like all my comedy friends. I had my dad on. That was a psychotic episode where we got into politics. Yeah. Middle fingers were thrown. That was great. And even up until the last episode, you know, we had a presidential candidate come on. I was going to say, now you... I only did 10 episodes and that got to happen. Like, that was crazy. And the, the, the best part about that episode was the fact that you brought this, if it's the one I'm thinking of... You brought this presidential candidate on with friend of my show, John D. Domenico, That's doing right. Donald Trump. That's right. And it was brilliant. <laughs> John so, is John is one of the funniest people I've ever met anyways. He's one of the sweetest and guys. And such a nice guy. And his Trump is... It's spot on. I mean, Amazing. he's winning awards. He deserves. He deserves yeah. all the success. I think he won the best Las Vegas this year for best impersonator. I mean, the guy... Does homework. He doesn't just throw on a wig and go and do it. Like, he does his homework. He knows the vows he's doing. He, no, okay. So, anyway, so the Marion Williamson people called me up. They go, dude, we saw that episode of you doing the Donald Trump guy, and we think he was hilarious, and we'd love it if you could, like, cater a show with us and him and Marion kind of pokes fun at him. I go, stop talking right now. I already got the idea in my head. Let me call you back in in two days. So I called up John. I go, John, I know you're touring the world. I know you're doing your thing in Australia or whatever. Please tell me you're in town for this date to do this again. Because again, I feel bad as a friend. He's got to get dressed. He's got to do makeup for an hour. It's not just, yeah, then I'll pop in and do it for you. I'm asking a friend to take three hours out of his day to do this for me. And, you know, hopefully to help his career out also. And the size of the heart of that guy, he said, totally, 100%. And we did the episode, <laughs> and it was like you know, it, it was like I think it was hands down our best episode, and uh, we got to some really real stuff with Marianne Williamson, and it was really cool. She was really smart. Uh, I wish she was on more of the debates, but you know all the stuff going on with this country where you need a certain amount of polls and this and that. And uh, yeah, what the cluck, man, was a really freeing, fun experience. Right now we're on hiatus because uh, I ended season one with ten episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my own holiday show with my drummer, Alex Papa, who's in the show Spasmatics at South Point. Mm-hmm. He does MJ Live. Me and him go out and do a Brian Setzer-styled holiday show where we got a six-piece horn section, two background girl singers, five-piece band, and we do a whole swinging, rocking holiday show. So I basically have to learn the words to 25 songs <laughs> and, and learn all guitar solos and yeah. guitar for 25 songs. So I said, there's no way to balance Bronx Wanderers, this Christmas show, What the Cluck. Like, I, I can only do so much. Sure. So we said, let's end What the Cluck for now. We'll come back after the Florida tour. And, uh, and people loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm shocked that people enjoyed it because I was out there. I was the only writer. I didn't have a team of people writing with me. I literally sat in my bed in my underwear with my laptop on my chest going yeah "Yeah, this might be funny yeah this might be funny who knows this is probably really dark but hopefully funny (laughs) so it was a whole trial and error thing but uh but people enjoyed it you know so that's cool if uh if people want to find info on you bronx wanderers yeah all of that stuff you guys are all over check into your local psychiatric ward yeah i'm just kidding (laughs) um you can check out the bronx wanderers at the bronx wanderers.com uh just type in our name anywhere it'll show where we're at um, for my stuff, uh, I have my own website. It's called whichwayrecords.com. It basically houses all the Bronx Wanderers, all my personal stuff, all the What the Cluck stuff, everything. You know, it, it's, it was hard to make an episode Vin A also with the Bronx Wanderers. It was like this whole thing. So yeah. it's weird, but just type in Vin A anywhere and all my stuff will come up. And uh, type in What the Cluck, catch up on some of those episodes. They're hilarious. Some are better than others. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll stumble across some funny stuff. And uh, 
I got a new album coming out in two months I'm really excited about. It's going to be called Mountains of Ignorance, and that's all my original stuff. So uh-huh. I'm also doing that on the side. I don't know how I'm doing all of this. You're you're aware there's only 24 hours I, in a day, I right? I don't, honestly. I don't. <laughs> But uh, I have a weird brain where it's like very ADHD where if, I, if I'm not doing something, I start getting really antsy mm-hmm. and I start feeling like I should be doing something. I should be. Luckily, God made like weed cookies. So when I don't <laughs> want to do shit, I do that, you know, but when I'm not doing that, I'm like, dude, I got to be productive. I got to like get stuff done. Yeah. So, um, you know, look at you, man. You came all the way here and did this with me. So you're doing the same thing. Yeah, a million things going in a million directions, but <laughs> and you're flying them all right. You're yeah, flying, you know? yeah, heading back home, going back into the snow. So God, if I can lend you five jackets, I would <sighs> appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, my friend. I Thanks appreciate so much this. for having me, Jeff. It's an honor, man. Once again, if you're looking for info, tickets, and showtimes, visit thebronxwanderers.com. And be sure to check out Vin's podcast, What the Cluck, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And for an enhanced experience, watch the video version of the podcast. I'll put a link to What the Cluck in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that brings to a close another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you're looking for suggestions for your own Vegas vacation on where to stay, where to eat, what to see, or what shows to hit up, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. You can also drop me an email directly at Jeff at WalkerNewMedia.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 48 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.